Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, it's me again, right after the announcement. Man, I can't believe this is my second to last time preaching like this, and we're back together again. Hands raised, worshiping, preaching, uh, not to a camera, but actually to Mission Church. And man, I got to tell you, you're the best crowd to preach to. You're the best church to preach to. Uh, I'm just so excited uh, for February 27th. It's going to be amazing. But until then, we're still in the series Knowing God, and I'm in John 6 today, and I'm excited to preach. Woo, I'm excited to preach. Now, John 6 is this fascinating story. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. Uh, John calls these miraculous signs in his, in his Bible. Uh, the book of John uh, is written by John, Jesus' best friend. So what a cool thing. The, this book is written by Jesus' best friend. Now, let me tell you something. This miracle, the feeding of the uh, fish and loaves to the 5,000, it is the only miracle, catch this, the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. No other miracle, not walking on water, not Lazarus being raised from the dead. No, the only miracle that you'll find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the miracle of the fish and the loaves. Oof. So when I found that out when I was studying this last week, I said, Lord, there is something you don't want us to miss in this miracle. Out of all the miracles that God wanted us to see, he wanted to remind us four times. He wants to say, hey, don't forget, I'm all sufficient. I don't know about you, but I'm somewhat forgetful at times. Uh, have you ever forgot like uh, just a meeting, a lunch meeting? I drive our staff nuts. I actually have a phone reminder and I set three to four alarms to uh, make sure that I don't forget I'm meeting with somebody. It would go off like, what's that? Oh yeah, this is my first uh, reminder. And then five minutes, boop, boop, boop. what's that? Oh, this is my second reminder. Like, how many got? Like two more. Okay, just so we can be aware. I drive our staff nuts. I don't want to forget. Now, have you ever forgot? You ever forget maybe uh, to bring something to a, a party? You ever forget to bring tickets to a Warriors game? Let me ask you this. Let's do some big ones real quick. Have you ever forgot to miss a surgery? Oh my gosh, I had knee surgery today. What was I thinking? I've never met anybody who forgot a surgery. Have you ever forgot your wedding day? Where was I supposed to be today? Oh my gosh, I'm getting married. I've never met anybody who forgot the wedding day. Have you ever forgot your kid on Christmas traveling? You're on the plane, you're like, did I forget something, the garage door? Ah, Kevin! No, the only person I know who forgot their kid on Christmas, not once, but twice, is Kevin's mom from Home Alone. I, that, that's a big one. Nobody forgets the big ones, at least that I know of. But let me ask you another big one. Have you ever forgotten that Jesus is all-sufficient? That he is the one that satisfies your soul? That's the biggest one out of all the biggest ones. More than a surgery that could save your life, more than a wedding day, more than your kid on Christmas. The thing that you should never forget is God is all-sufficient. And in this story of the fish and the loaves, it's Jesus saying, I know that you love the bread and the fish, but I'm the bread. I'm all-sufficient. So over and over again in four Gospels, he's saying, don't forget, I'm the one who takes care of all the problems. Don't forget when you're hungry, I'm the one who satisfies. Don't forget when you're worried, I'm the one who brings peace. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, over and over again. But isn't it sad that we still forget at times? I used to judge Kevin's mom. What kind of mom forgets her kid on Christmas? Then I saw Home Alone too. I was like, you gots to be kidding me. What kind of mom loses her kid two times on Christmas? But then I asked myself this question. What kind of Christian forgets that Jesus is the all-encompassing answer to everything? Man, let's not be like Kevin's mom. Let's not be like Nursing Home Alone, check it out. I'm referring to a movie. I want to I read you something because the reason why I say all-sufficient, you're going to see a word in this 
text in John 6 that will just say that everybody had as much as they wanted to eat. That's, that's an important verbiage that the Holy Spirit, you got to understand something, that scripture was not written by man, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the words that are in here, oh, the Holy Spirit did this on purpose. Everything, every word is on purpose. This being the only miracle in all four, it's on purpose. And so you got to understand something. When it says that the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that we knew they, had, they ate everything they wanted and that they were filled. That word filled in the Greek is uh, synonymous with the Greek word zoe, which means abundant life. All of them had abundance. They were all overflowing and satisfied. When's the last time you felt satisfied in your life? Satisfied in your marriage? Satisfied with yourself? When was the last time you were satisfied with the way life was going? Satisfied in your career? Satisfied with your kids? When was the last time you felt satisfied? I, I want to read you something. It's uh, from one of uh, C.S. Lewis's books, and I think it's just perfect for us to understand that this world has none of the things that could actually satisfy us. Here's what he says. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do, not, uh, that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we fall in love. Ooh, when you first fall in love, you're like, this is it. This is the satisfaction I've been looking for. Oh, this is the fulfillment. I'm finally filled. I'm getting everything I wanted. Those feelings when you first fall in love or first um, think of some foreign country. Oh, I can't wait to go to Hawaii. I can't wait to go to Europe. I can't wait to go to Paris. That feeling or the first uh, time you take up some subject that excites us. Oh, the first time you enjoy a hobby, golf. Oof, some kind of thing. You just, it says that something excites us are the longings which no marriage no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I love what he goes on to say here. Catch this real quick. I'm not now speaking of what would be ordinary, uh, ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or vacations, holidays, or learned careers. Here's what he's speaking of. I'm speaking of the best possible ones, the best marriages. He says, there was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, a great wife, the best wife. And the hotels and the scenery may be the excellent, the best. And the, chemist, uh, the chemistry job may be the most interesting job on the planet. But something has evaded us. C.S. Lewis, I think, is saying in such a profound way, oh, we all want to be satisfied. We're all searching for some kind of bread out there. But there's only one bread that satisfies. Are you ready to actually find out if this is for you? Because it is. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that uh, you're a God that shows us in your word over and over again, four times in the Gospels, that we should never forget that the longing on our soul can only be satisfied by our Savior. Oh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget that you're the one that died on the cross, that we wouldn't forget that you're the one that leads our steps, that we wouldn't forget that you don't forsake us in our valleys, that you lead us out of valleys. Oh, Lord, I pray right now my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. And everybody said, amen. So the title of my talk, the title of my message is Don't Forget the Bread. Don't forget the bread. It's going to make sense. Turn your Bibles to John 6 if you got them. We're going to be uh, reading now the NLT. I went back to Old Faithful, my favorite translation as a, as a uh, new believer. I've been reading it for so many years. We're going to go to the New Living Translation. I've been in the NIV. Well, I'm going back to NLT. So here we go. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Stop. I just love this. People are intrigued by Jesus. A huge crowd is looking for Jesus. 
Now a lot of people maybe are intrigued by church or intrigued by a Christian, but they're intrigued by Jesus. Who is this Jesus that the whole world talks about? More paintings painted of him than any other painting. More books written about him than any other book written about him. The most famous name on the planet. They're intrigued by Jesus. Never ever think that people are intrigued by Jesus. People are intrigued by Jesus. Goes on to say, I saw a huge crowd looking for him. Turning to Philip, he asked him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. Woo, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. My first point's for this for you. Don't forget, don't forget. We're doing a don't forget theme today. Don't forget God tests us. Don't forget God tests us. And so I want you to picture this real quick. The all-powerful God knows exactly what to do. Ask one of his knucklehead disciples what to do. Do you think Jesus did it for himself or do you think he did it for Philip? He did it for Philip. I picture a dad teaching a kid to ride the bike and taking his hand off the bike for a second to see how his kid would do. And I feel like Jesus this moment said, okay, I'm gonna take my hand off this, uh, this moment. I'm gonna give it to Philip and see how he responds. Because he wants to train him up how to respond. He's, he, he wants to test us, to develop us. And so he says, Philip, we are in a lack problem. The supply is way lower than what the demand wants. There is a gap between supply and demand. What should we do, Philip? And you would hope that Philip, who's seen Jesus do miracles from water into wine, that knows the Old Testament, that, 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 that manna came every day from God. God can do anything with food and water. You'd think Philip would go, well, you turn water into wine, Jesus. Let's make another little fish fry. Let's do a little, uh, maybe Chick-fil-A, maybe uh, fish and chips. What you want to do, Jesus? You'd think maybe Philip would think that way. Philip goes straight worldly. I don't know. We'd have to work a whole year's wage. Don't you love it when people bring the a solution, but it's really just the greatest problem? All right, I got, I, got, I got the solution. We can't do it. Man, I'm sure glad I brought that guy with me. That's where Philip's at. But then you have an Andrew. You have an Andrew in the group. And I love this. You have one person who brings utter hopelessness. And then you have Andrew who just brings what he's got. And let's look what that says real quick. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here uh, with five barley loaves and two fish. But what uh, good is that with the huge crowd? Now, I've got three don't forgets for this one. So he brings this boy with five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, five, uh, five barley loaves and two fish. Now, let me just kind of set the context here. These barley loaves, they are not the Bouchon bread in Yonville that we love to go get in Yonville. It's one of my favorite places, Rachel and I love to go. We love to go to Bouchon and get some bread, maybe get some pastries. It's not that kind of bread. It's not even Olive Garden breadsticks. My second favorite kind of bread. Come on now. Those Olive Garden breadsticks, woo, manna, okay? It's not that kind of bread. Barley bread, just to give you a heads up, it's like a wafer and it's fit for a horse. It's the poorest bread on the planet at this time. It's what poor people eat. He's got the most broke bread on the planet. Five loaves of barley and he's got two fish. First thing you don't forget, I want to hear this real quick. Don't forget you're helpless without God. It's the first thing he's shown us with this barley. I want to hear this. Don't forget you're helpless without God. I want to catch it real quick. There's this verse in Matthew that says, Blessed are the poor for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Now you need to understand something. Jesus was preaching this. It was Aramaic, Greek. And so there's different definitions of poor. So blessed are the poor, the barley loaves. Blessed are the barley loaves, for they'll inherit the kingdom of God. Catch this real quick. Now the barley and the poor, uh, back then there was different words. Jesus could have used a word for poor that said, um, that would define poor as a man who has to work every day for his living. You're poor because if you had to work every day for your living, you weren't rich, you're poor. But then there was another word to be used for poor, and it was you were utter helpless. You were on your knees begging for food every day because you were that broke. That's the word he used in that. 
and I believe he used that word, and he's trying to show us a picture, that once, once you see yourself as a barley loaf, he can do something special in your life. Once you see yourself as poor and broke and helpless without him, that's when he can start satisfying your marriage. I, I want to read you something. It's a Tyler Johnson quote. It's okay. It's not the best, but I'm going to read it to you. What holds people back sometimes isn't not knowing how great God is. I think some of you know, oh, God is great. Here's what's holding you back real quick. But they don't realize how poor they are without him. You actually think you are somewhat rich in your life without Jesus, and you're just so blind by it. You've got to understand something. You think your life is good? At best, you are the bottom shelf cereal. And what I mean is you're the cereal that comes in the bags. You're the cereal that isn't Captain Crunch, Lieutenant Crunch. You're not Cheerios. You're just cheery. Oh, okay. I mean, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the generic cereal. That, that, that's what this picture is showing us real quick, that we bring Jesus our poverty and he makes it richness. What an amazing thing. Don't forget you're helpless without God. Uh, another point with this is amazing. Don't forget God doesn't listen to culture. Don't forget you got to understand something. It says that Jesus feeds 5,000 in this story. And one of the greatest pictures in this that I love is that the one God uses wasn't even counted. Culture didn't even count them. In this time and culture, men were the important ones. Not the women, not the children. So they counted 5,000 men. Who cares about kids? They don't do nothing. Men are the ones that actually bring the most to the table. We're going to count the men, not the, men uh, the, not the women or the children. And Jesus decides, I'm going to count the one that was uncounted. I love Christianity because God loves using people that the world wouldn't choose. I'll be honest, I, I grew up and I never was the first one picked. I was never the smartest kid in class. I was never good at speaking. To be honest, I almost failed my senior project when I had to speak in front of people because I talk fast. I don't know why they think I talk fast. I don't think I talk fast. I think I talk really slow, but for some reason they said I talk fast, but I don't know what they're talking about. I talk really, really slow. Do you think? Anyways, I almost failed because I talked too fast. But here's what I, I realized. It's not about our ability. Oh, it's just about us coming with our availability. I love what Joe shared in our ministry time. It's one of the most famous quotes in church because it's one of the most truest quotes in church. Stop worrying about your ability and start actually focusing on your availability. Can I, can I say something with the poor and availability real quick? The kingdom of God flourishes in poor areas because the poor people have no other options. And, and if, I, if I could be honest, we live in a rich area. One of the biggest struggles you'll have as a rich person is not your ability or your finances. It will always be your availability because the richness of this world will sap your availability for God. Oh, be available, rich people. Be available for God. And if I'm being honest, everybody in the Bay Area is basically rich. So I'm talking to everybody right now. Be available. Next uh, thing, don't forget. Uh, don't forget that God will do a lot with a little. Don't forget God will do a lot with a little. Now, when we hear this story, we think, oh, there's a crowd. There's a little bit of fish, a little bit of loaves, that's it. But if you were actually there that day and you saw 15,000 people and you saw five wafers basically, and you're not, can I just tell you about the fish? Fresh fish wasn't around back then. They didn't have the, um, uh, uh, the advancements yet to have fresh fish. They had sardines. These are a couple pickled fishes. Why the kid was there, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to make a buck and sell a wafer and a, and a, and a pickled fish, a sardine. Maybe he was there to have a picnic. I don't know why he was there. But that's all that's there. This is a, a gap beyond, beyond all gaps to be able to feed everybody. It gave me a picture real quick. The only other gap I can compare it with when I was reading this, I would say is Mission Church in the Bay Area. I would, I would submit to you that a church of 800 before, the, um, before COVID shut us down, 800 people on a Sunday, and a Bay Area of 10 million, 
how do you get Jesus to 10 million people with 800 in, the, in, in one place? You can't do it. You, you can do it with Jesus. This, this is what I love real quick. This boy was at the right place at the right time with the right attitude. And all you need when you have that big of a gap to change the world is you don't need the numbers to add up. You don't need the talent to add up. You just need the right people at the right place with the right attitude. And Mission Church, we got the right people. We're in the right place and we got the right attitude. And the word for attitude in the, in, in, in the Bible is we got the right spirit. Oh, do you have a faithful spirit? Do you have a faith-filled spirit? Do you have a, a passionate spirit for God? Because we have the right people, the right place, and the right attitude. Ooh, God can do a lot with a little. Mission Church, hear me real quick. The Bay Area, least church region, I always pinch myself sometimes. When I say always, I do it a lot. Not always, that would be weird. What you doing, Ty? I just always pinch myself. I always pinch myself. I do it a lot, okay? I'll be driving on the freeway, and I go, God, you picked me? You picked me to go here? One of the prettiest places on the planet, but the least church region on the planet? Oh, this is the setup of all setups. I feel privileged to be in a place where we get to witness the, the five loaves and the two fishes when it comes to the gospel being preached. Mission Church, let's have the right uh, attitude. Let's be in the right place at the right time. I love that. Don't forget God can do a lot with a little. Now here's the next part. Uh, it's uh, verse uh, 10. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men numbered around 5,000. Now, I told you earlier that uh, this story is in all four Gospels. So something I did was, you got to understand something. All four disciples that uh, wrote these, well, not, not Mark was uh, maybe an eyewitness of Peter, they believe, but all four Gospels. Luke was a Gentile, we'll get into it, but all four Gospels from eyewitness accounts, from accounts from what happened, they wrote this down. So I wanted to read all four of the story because there's different things that were amazing pearls in the story I think Jesus doesn't want us to miss and not forget. And what, something that said in Mark 6, um, uh, 39 uh, uh, through 40 said this, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green. So they sat on groups of hundreds and fifties. This is fascinating to me. Check this. All right. Give me the loaves. Give me the fish. I'm about to do a miracle of all miracles right now. I'm going to do a miracle that will be famous forever. But before I do the miracle, I need some order. There are 15,000 people roughly at this thing right now. Maybe more. I need groups of 50 and 100. Organize it real quick, disciples. You organize it, you bring some order, watch the miracle follow. Here's your don't forget, ready? Don't forget God cares about systems and stewardship. Oh, God cares about systems. He cares about order. You, you want a financial miracle, but your finances aren't in order. Oh God, bring me more finances so I can go bankrupt with more finances. Can, can I tell you something real quick? Chaos is not a recipe for a miracle. Let me tell you another thing. Selfishness is not a recipe for a miracle. And this whole uh, verse of John 6, one of the theologians says that really it's, it's a stewarding verse. It's, it's talking about giving God what you have. It's talking about watching when you give God what you have and what he does. It, it, it's about generosity. Um, one of the theologians I, I read this week, I thought it was fascinating, that if you look at the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, when Adam's created, what's the first job he's given? Steward the garden. Matthew 25. Here's a parable of the talents. It's talking about stewarding. Uh, you, you take all the verses that Jesus teaches in the gospel. Uh, the theologian said about 25% of the text that he teaches, you can connect to stewardship. So you're telling me that if I was preaching in a month and I was going to preach like Jesus, I would preach on stewardship once every four weeks? Once a month. This is what, I'd say, I, this is what stewardship is. You're like, uh, I don't go to church a lot. What's stewardship? How are you managing your life? How are you caring for your life? 
How are you caring for what God put in your hands? How are you caring for the relationships? It, it is very important to God for you to care for what he gives you. So we're going we're gonna to look at these two points real quick. Don't forget God cares about systems and stewardship. So here's, a, here's the first thing I want to get real quick. Selfishness is not the cocktail for a miracle or increase. I want to read you a verse of Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You ever meet somebody who's just always wanting? Oh, I love another translation. It says that those who withhold become poor. Basically, you suffer want. You're always in poverty. You have a, a poverty spirit. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will be himself be watered. Can I break that down for you real quick? Ready? Selfish people are the poorest people. Generous people are the richest people. That's what the Bible says. So selfish people are always in want. They're always in poverty. But generous people are going to be enriched and they're going to become richer. It, it, you don't want to trust the Bible? Trust businessentrepreneurship.com, uh, whatever you want. I'm going to trust the Bible. I'm going to be generous. Now let's take a test real quick on uh, where you're at. Because really what Jesus is always trying to do, uh, and you look at this in Revelation, is... Uh, in Romans, excuse me, is once we get saved, he wants to sanctify us. And all sanctification is, it's a big word, but it's a justification, uh, and uh, it's justification, it's uh, vivification and mortification. Vivification is the renewing of our mind. Mortification is killing our flesh. So when Jesus wants to sanctify our life, he wants to change our mind with the way we think. He wants to, we, us to think differently, and he wants our flesh to stop leading us. You know, it says in the Bible that the heart is uh, among the most deceitful things. Do you let your heart lead you, or do you let scripture lead you? Because that's what Jesus wants. He wants scripture to lead you. So he wants to change your mind. So, so I want to ask where your mindset is real quick. So we're going to take a test. Let, let, let's, let's see where you're at real quick with stewardship. Uh, first question is this. When you get something, do you think this? Ready? What's mine is blank. Do you say this? What's mine is mine. If that's the way you think, that's the way the world thinks. The definition of selfishness is what mine is mine. You're never going to see a miracle that way. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard on this one. I'm going I'm to lean in a little bit. You ready? Uh, I got some pastor buddies, and when I was younger, they would tell me this. Oh, if somebody wants to date my daughter, you know what I do? Oh, what? I check their giving record. I'm like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like, no, I, I, I'm going to check that, that, that guy's giving record because if he's not generous to the Lord, he's not going to be generous with my daughter. If he doesn't know how to give to God, he won't know how to give to my daughter. He just knows how to take. And so one of the first things, is marriage is not just a relational thing, it's a spiritual thing. And so they would check and they, they were giving like, oh, okay, how is a father going to entrust his daughter with somebody who doesn't even know how to give to God, let alone going to give to their spouse? Because if you see God as the same as taking, you're going to see your spouse the same way. Again, can I ask this question? Do you think what's mine is mine? Because the reality is, is they would tell me if they think everything is theirs, they'll think that my daughter is theirs. My daughter is not theirs. She is God's and she is supposed to be loved and cherished. Let's not be a selfish church. Next question is this. Do you ever have this thought? What others have should be mine. You ever that? Yeah? You're looking at somebody like, why do they get it, not me? Have you ever been over at somebody's house? You're like, oh, I want all of this. You ever seen a car? I'll take it. And you know what that's called? Not selfishness. It's called coveting. And coveting is not something you want in your soul. Let me, let me put it this way. Uh, start coveting and start killing what God has given you. Oh, it's just not a part of the way we're supposed to be wired. Looking around and telling God. You ever get stressed out when you give, you're given a job that you're not supposed to have? Like, if you gave me the accounting job for Mission Church, I would be stressed every day. If you made me the worship pastor, I'd be like, I'd be stressed. Well, if you told me to be in charge of what everybody's supposed to get, including myself, aka to be God, I'd be stressed out. That mindset stresses you out. It poisons your soul. And last but not least, do you think this way? 
What, what's mine is his. What's mine is his. And the definition of that is simply this, stewarding. I, uh, I wrote this down. Uh, companies lose more money from their employees stealing from them than their consumers. Do you hear that real quick? So, so a company who's trying to stop the shoplifters, they'll lose money. The New York Times wrote an article about it. So on average on a day, a company will lose, let's say, 450 to 550 in this one study uh, from their uh, shoplifters. But on average, they're losing 1,500 a day from their employees. Their employees steal more from them than they actually the, the consumers. Can I tell you something real quick, church? The church does not have an outside problem. It's got an inside problem. The people that steal most from the church is not the outside. We're always mad at the world. I can't believe they're doing this and that. No, no, no. The problem is the people on the inside not stewarding yet. They come to take. They come to say, what mine, what is yours should be mine. I want that joy. Oh, I, what, I want this to be all about me. Until you come to church and say, everything that I have is his. My life, my treasures, everything. Oh, we're going to be losing as a house. Now, uh, again, I'm three years as a senior pastor coming up in a few weeks. We're going to have a three-year anniversary. You can come to it, whatever, February 27th. It's going to be in person for the first time in like 10 months. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to be a, a senior pastor for three years for the first time. And uh, I'll never forget going out to lunches with pastors who had been pastoring for 20 plus years. And you just ask questions. Teach me. And so they just tell me things you wish you would have been told at year one that you were told that you figured out year 10. And there was a theme in finances and generous givers. And they would tell me this. This, this was a theme in all of my conversation with pastor, pastor for a long time. They would say this. The church will go as far as your givers want to take it. I'm not saying God's not going to advance the church. But I didn't really understand what they were saying. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, well, no, don't you limit God. And then another way out here is giving sets the pace for your church to impact the region in, in, in this world. So let's look at this miracle. This miracle, Jesus decided, I'm not going to have this miracle unless somebody gives something first. The cocktail is generosity, coming to the Lord, and him multiplying it. Our church, I have dreams of us having a building and creating a lighthouse on a hill. Well, we're not going to get there until we actually have the finances to happen, uh, 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 that can do it. Stats of our church, 20-30% of our church gives. 7% doesn't. you got to process why you're not giving. I'm just going to say it real quick. You don't want to give it to a mission church? Give it to another church. But the reality is, is that people and finances are part of the lifeblood of the church. When you think about the body, it's, it's the blood that's pumping. It's the breath that comes in and out. It's a big deal. Holy Spirit, Jesus, presence of God, the most important thing. Man, giving is so important when it comes to building the house of God. Process it. I don't like to talk about money. I'm a little hot right now. Okay, pray for me. Okay, here we go. Let's keep going. Uh, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same thing with the fish. Got two more points and we're almost done. Don't forget that, to thank God for what he's given you. It's a very simple one. I love this. Jesus has given five wafers and two sardines. Lift them up to God. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me horse wafers and two sardines. What an ex- you got to, again, you got to put yourself there. The 12, the 12 disciples, some, I, I got to think half of them are like, wow, Jesus is amazing. I got I to gotta imagine the other half are like, Jesus knows those are like barley, right? They're like the poorest bread. <laughs> so somebody tell them that's like, like nobody thanks God for five barley loaves. Like you got you to you put yourself there real quick. But here's what Jesus is showing them. Thankfulness will never be a stuff thing. It will always be a spirit thing. Let me say that again to you. Your thankfulness problem it's not a stuff problem. It's a spirit problem. Let, let, me, let me write it down this way. Thankfulness isn't a numbers thing. It's a spirit thing. Oh, I'll be thankful when. I'll be thankful when I get this. I'll be thankful when I get that. No, no, no. 
If you're not thankful now, you'll never be thankful when you get the next thing. Can I talk to the people right now that are the biggest enemy of you? It's you. You're stealing from yourself. You're stealing from this season. If you aren't thankful for what you're getting paid right now, oh, you're never going to be thankful for what you're going to get paid next. If you're not thankful for your spouse now, you're not going to be thankful for them in six months from now. There's something to be said about your spirit being thankful for what God puts in your hands. He does not multiply the bread until there is a thankful prayer. You may be, be holding back the multiplication because your spirit can't handle it yet. Oh, start getting thankful for the thing God gives you. Oh, start thanking him for everything. Last but not least, he goes on to say, and they ate as much as they wanted. This is the verse I referred back to in the beginning. And everyone was full. I want to finish with this thought. And it's simply this. My title message was, don't forget the bread. So here's my last point. Don't forget that Jesus is the bread. Now, the people followed him again, but they didn't follow him because they wanted Jesus. They wanted him to be their king and just use Jesus. Again, interesting picture. God, I want to use you. I don't want to use me. How many Christians we meet like that sometimes? God, I want to use you. I don't want you to use me. And so Jesus gets a little, you could say, passion in this moment and starts talking about drinking my blood and all these other things. And you could read the verse later. But he comes with this big truth and he says, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So he picked up the pieces and filled the baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten the five barley loaves. So he grabs that stuff, goes on the boat, uh, gets to the other side. And now they're on the boat. And we're going we're gonna to take this full circle, I promise. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus goes up and prays. He's not with them. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And here's what happens. Storm comes. They're terrified. Jesus comes out walking on water. They think they see a ghost. I've preached on this before. I think it's funny they have faith enough to think that a man could be a ghost, but not faith enough that it could actually be Jesus walking on water. Isn't that hilarious to me? Yes, it's hilarious to me. Some of you have more faith in ghosts than you do in Jesus. It's very upsetting. Some of you have more faith in your worries than you do actually in the promises of God. It's so sad to me. Come on now. Get your faith in Jesus, not in your worries, okay? So Matthew, uh, Mark 6.50, I love the way it says in this story. Again, there's all four stories, so I, I went from all angles. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Then he climbed in the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So this, this threw me through a loop. We're about to finish, but this threw me through a loop. Hold on a second, Jesus. They, they're afraid in a storm where they could drown, and you say they're afraid because they didn't understand the miracle of the bread? Hold on. So you're saying if they didn't forget the bread, they would have been uh, not fearful and they would have had courage and would have had a peace in the boat? Let me take you there real quick. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, this is, this is him on the other side now. People want him for stuff. They don't want the Savior. And he says this. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus sees their carnal, worldly want and just gives them the spiritual answer, all spiritual answers. The disciples were just not spiritually uh, attuned to what God was doing even at that moment. I uh, ate vegetables for 21 days. I was a vegan for 21 days. Now I'm gonna do it twice a week for the rest of my life. I really enjoy it, I love the way my body was responding. But something I realized, you know, start going on vegan websites, they're like, don't kill animals, eat vegetables. I'm like, oh yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. All right, fine, I'm, I'm on the vegan train. I'm one of you, let's go, you know? But then I started thinking about plants. And I was like, everything has to die so we can live. Plants have to die. 
the grain, everything has to die for us to live. An animal has to die so I can eat the meat and I can live. The, the plant has to die so I can eat the vegetables so I can live. Everything has to die so you and I can live. And this is the moment of all moments. Jesus says one of his seven I am statements in John. And you'll see I am as one of these most profound statements in the Old Testament when Moses is freaking out and he's stressed out and he says, what am I supposed to do? And just tell them I am. I am. Period. Can I tell you something real quick? When Jesus said, I am the bread, it was referring back to the great I am. He's saying, I'm the great I am, and I am the bread. I am not some kind of bread. I am the bread of all breads. Let me put it this way real quick for you. Uh, I'm bread, so I'm going to go die so you can live, so you can have Zoe kind of life. Everything that you're chasing in this world, no, I'm the one that came to be the bread of all breads. You ever, you ever go to a party and it's not very good? The worst thing at a party is not a good feast. If they don't have good food, they just put some chips out. The best parties are a big old feast. And Jesus is saying, if you forget the bread, you forgot how to party. You forget the bread, you forgot peace. You forget the bread, you forgot who did the miracle. The bread's everything. Literally, I, I, I need you to catch it real quick. He's saying this, if you were to remember the bread, you would have peace on the boat. The bread does not signify just satisfaction. It signifies the sacrifice. It signifies the answer to a man's soul cravings. It's everything Jesus wants. Oh, we, we have a craving for peace? Jesus is the one that satisfies that craving. It, salvation doesn't only bring satisfaction, salvation brings peace. Salvation brings life. And this is one of those miracles. If you could just read it this week, read it four times this week and share the gospels four times and just see what Jesus says to you in it and just see what happens to your soul. He wants to satisfy it. No marriage can, no traveling can, no hobby can, only Jesus. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you. I thank you that you're a, a God who wants to satisfy not just our physical desires, but Lord, our eternal soul, heart cravings. And so Lord, we are not gonna forget the bread. Lord, I pray right now for people that are watching for the very first time, you wanna say yes to Jesus. You wanna say yes to heaven, no to hell. You wanna say yes to the bread of all breads. You wanna say yes to satisfaction and say goodbye to wanting and poverty. If that's you, say yes in the chats right now. We love celebrating when people say yes in the chats. If you wanna say yes uh, to a friend, tell a friend right now, tell them to say yes. The Bible says you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Text somebody, tell them to say yes. Go on our website, tell us to say yes, we'll have a pastor follow up with you. Mission Church, I love you. I'll be back, back, back next week online again. We're gonna uh, have one more of these and then we're gonna be in person, February 27th. Woo, I can't wait. Love you, take care. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.